0: Episode 20 is here, the Leaders in Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Guys, I feel like it's been forever since I talked to you, but we're back. New year. I got a bunch of episodes coming up. And my first guest I'm really excited to talk with is Nikki Beauchamp. She is a realtor out of New York. She's been in the industry for almost 20 years. We get into really why you need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk as a realtor, how to be authentic and some of the challenges she's faced, how she's learned how to grow a referral network. There is a lot of gems in this conversation. So sit back, relax, because this episode is going to be a good one. But but, 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 but before I hop into the episode, I do have to mention our sponsors. Guys, have you ever seen a beautiful real estate website and said, I wish my company site looked like that. I wish my site looked like that. I want an easy to use, beautifully designed site that works well, not only on the desktop, but on tablets and in mobile too. Well, if you have thought that you're in luck because Reliance Network is providing beautiful ad agency level websites to realtors, brokerages, teams across the country. So, head over to reliancenetwork.com. Hit that contact us and see if they can help you out. And when you contact them, tell them that you found them on the Leaders in Real Estate podcast. That helps our show keep going and that helps you. All right, guys, sit back, relax. Here is the episode. What is going on, people? Welcome back to episode 20 of the Leaders in Real Estate podcast. Today, I am bringing a heavy hitter from New York City, someone with over 15 years experience, Nikki Beauchamp. She is coming. She is an Angle Volkers advisor. She was actually part of the founding team at Angle Volkers in New York in 2014. She's award-winning. She understands all the nuanced parts of real estate, and she really has a command for that New York City market. And we haven't talked to a ton of agents from New York, so I'm really, really excited to hear what she has to say. She has been mentioned and quoted in a ton of out media sources from the New York Times, The Real Deal, you name it. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thanks very much
1: for the welcome.
0: That was a you know bite-sized some summation of you know how you got here, but really talk us through your journey in real estate and how you got to where you're at now.
1: My background before real estate was actually in finance and technology. I spent almost an entire career and a lifetime in that field. And as a native New Yorker, I was always getting questions no matter what office I was in about where to live and what to do. So I used to send those out to a friend of mine. And at some point she suggested that I get my real estate license. And I always thought that was a silly thing to do that I never had any time for. And quite famously at the time, she showed up at my holiday party with a vehicle that my referrals from that year had paid for. So I went out and I got my license, and after selling a consulting company, I thought I'll give selling real estate a chance and see how it goes. And nearing twenty years later, somewhere between seventeen and twenty, here I am. Wow,
0: that's amazing! And it's funny how it it, it kind of real estate kind of found you. It sounds like it did. In a way,
1: it definitely found me.
0: Very, very cool. Well, I'm excited to hear. Uh, more about your experience and jump into these questions let's really start with your career talk to me about one thing that you're really proud of and then talk me through you know that experience of the steps that it took to accomplish that
1: I think what I am most proud of in my career is having a reputation for doing the right thing for my clients, no matter what the circumstance. I am that person who has talked people out of doing things that are not necessarily in their best interest, whether it comes from a bank having approved them for a much higher loan amount and my knowledge and understanding of their finances that it could be questionable should they lose a job or fall ill that they might not be able to sustain that or from just I gain nothing and a real estate agent quite honestly gains nothing from not doing what's in their client's best interest that's our job that's our fiduciary responsibility and when you lead with that everything always, all the good things always come back to you. And as a result of that, my business is almost entirely referral-based.
0: You know, it's funny you say that, and that's really so true, is when you lead with, hey, what is best for the client, right? I'm here to serve the client. Not only are you going to get repeat business, but they're going to refer you out to their friends, family, etc. And this is because you've built trust. And trust comes from telling the truth, uh, not just chasing the next commission check. So I think that's such a powerful lesson.
1: Absolutely. Trust comes not only from telling the truth, but it also comes from being a true expert in your field. And trust is earned. And that happens over time. It's not instant.
0: Totally. And uh, that's one of the things, you know, the question will come up and people will say, What's the ROI of this? And how do I, we want to quantify everything, right? And it's, I always say, like, when did your best friend become your best friend? Like, what day did they become your best friend exactly? What action? We don't know, right? It took just time. And then you look back and you're like, oh, that's my best friend. And when they call, of course I'm going to answer. I have this sense of trust. Same thing with businesses. When we see Verizon calling us or Spectrum or Time Warner, we're not super eager to answer the phone, right? So we always want, from a real estate perspective and any business perspective to have that element of trust, excitement, expertise that people associate with our name and that doesn't come overnight like you said. All right. Now, flipping flipping it on its head a bit here, talk to me about a failure or lesson that you've learned from so far in real estate.
1: Well, I think that we have a tendency in real estate to always You always want to believe the best, but sometimes you ignore red flags along the way. And it is okay, ultimately, to say no to business that's not in your best interest. Because what happens is as you're spending that time and energy on that thing that's not really in your best interest, you are losing the opportunity to pursue other things whether it be personal or professional. So the one thing I regret is not having heeded those warning signs early enough.
0: Yeah, the blinders, right? It's trying to see your blind spots. uh, And it's so, it's hard to do. That's for sure.
1: It's really, really hard to do. And, you know, a big part of it often becomes you want to do the best thing and you want to be there until the end but you also don't want to damage yourself in the process, whether it's your health or your time, time and money are the only things that we really have. And when you're based on commission and you're working, you're working and you're spending on the business that has yet to close ultimately. And at sometimes you do have to say, you know what, maybe this is not in my best interest. I have been that person as an example that I will act as an informal advisor to a client, let's say, you know, they have a kid who's renting a small studio apartment or trying to rent an apartment with three people, that may not be in my best interest to go down that rabbit hole necessarily, but I can be that sounding board. So I've removed myself from the active every day, but if they have a question, I'm always willing to answer.
0: And that, and that, you know, once again, comes back to your point about referrals and building trust. And when you do that and, and remove yourself from that, but still are that helping hand, that uh, expert in the field, that's going to open up other opportunities down the
1: road. Sometimes it also comes down to realizing when you're not the best fit. And that's actually what I think I may have grown really, really great at over the years is determining and realizing early when I am not the best fit for a scenario and helping be that matchmaker so that they do have the best fit.
0: And that's huge because so many realtors, when they first start out and so, some older ones as well, uh, I go to conferences and I'll speak and I'll say, who's your target audience? And they're like, Everyone. And I'm like, no, no, right? We need to really, we got to get a little bit more fine tuned here.
1: Yeah, I really have to get more granular. And mm-hmm. I will, I will tell people that for me, there's that investment in the relationship. So for me, that investment in the relationship means that I may not take an active role in the transaction, but. Let's say someone is looking, to, I'm using the apartment rental example because it's kind of front of mind this week, where someone is looking to rent an apartment and maybe they do not want to pay a brokerage fee. I see no reason necessarily that I should be working for free for no money, but it doesn't mean that I can't be their informal eyes and ears. And if they call me up and they say, look, here's this situation, You know, I need some advice. I'm happy to do that because sometimes that's the better option versus running around like a headless chicken for something they're never going to (laughs) find.
0: Totally. Now, when we look at the industry as a whole, uh, what is the most exciting thing that's happening in the real estate industry from your perspective?
1: Like you, I also attend and speak at a fair number of conferences. And I have a couple of different opinions. So I'm a solo agent. I, at the moment, do not have a team and I do not have an assistant. And I watch the the sort of proliferation of the team concept, which I actually think fundamentally there is something to be said for that concept and why it's so successful. But I also think that if you look at brokerage models, if you look at the classic consulting model there are different things that different people take care of. And what happens today is that an agent somehow feels like you are everything. You're a marketing consultant. You're, you know, you're a stager. You're a marketer. You're doing doing everything and then some. And there's something to be said for that segmentation of really hiring the subject matter experts for that. And I think that that is happening more and more now, A, Because you do feel like you have to do everything, but also B, I do see different kinds of individuals coming from previous professions into real estate, where if you were an attorney or you were a management consultant or you were an investment banker, you are used to businesses running in a certain way. And those practices coming into real estate, more of the systemization, more of actually planning out and running an efficient and profitable business, I do believe at their core will help the consumer to have a better experience.
0: Yeah, I'm right with you. I think for a while there, it's been a misconstrued narrative, really, that you have to be all things to all people and have these 10 million specialties when really what we're seeing is niching down and becoming more special specialized and really honing in on what your skills are and becoming an expert is a really, really great path to go and can lead to more income and to be the go-to person in that segment.
1: It really can. And you know, When you asked a question earlier about asking people what their target market is, for some people, that means it's a very specific actual property type. For other people, it means the kind of service they provide and who they provide it to. And sort of the layers, those referral layers going deep into it. So, but it, but it really does entail knowing who you are and knowing what your strengths are, knowing what your weaknesses are. And that entails analysis. And I have noticed to some degree over the years, which is kind of one of my pet peeves, that sometimes agents aren't as prepared as they could be or worse than that we are prepared but we don't show the preparation we don't let people in behind the curtain so all you see is when we show up and everything works but you don't see all the steps that it took to get there
0: right and that's something to do with the idea of fairness and presenting fairness to your client and what i mean by that is a real estate transaction is often the biggest purchase someone's going to make in their life you know agents they use this all the time as a selling feature like hey this is the biggest purchase of your life don't try to you know make sure you get an expert etc however A real estate commission is about the fifth biggest purchase that people will make in their life or pay in their life, and on average. And we want to make sure that we can validate that expense, right? In terms of, and that comes back to showing people truly the work that you did and being able to articulate because it implies a sense of fairness to the consumer, to that person, that real estate client, that they know, hey, you really brought your expertise to the table and you elevated and took that purchase to the next level. This is very important in seller markets. In places where houses are flying off the shelves, It there can almost be negative connotation towards realtors, especially what I would call, there's a certain segment of the realtor base, which I would call order taker realtors. They're not really negotiating. They're just taking a family members come in and said this and that.
1: And, and those are also the people you know, incidentally, that are terrified that they're going to be replaced by a robot or by artificial intelligence. I was at Inman Connect just uh, this last week, and there's always a great deal of fear around either the iBuyer or artificial intelligence and that you're going to be replaced. And to some degree, if you are legitimately afraid that you're going to be replaced, you probably are going to be replaced because that means that you're not demonstrating the value. That you have to your clients. And the other part of that is that people like I think of everyone as I think of things in terms of client relationships, which is different than a customer relationship, a customer relationship is okay, you know what, we've done this today, and you may never be back,
0: right? Like a restaurant, a t-shirt store, et cetera.
1: Like a restaurant, a t-shirt store, et cetera. And I look outside of real estate. I mean, it's a, it might be a silly example at the moment, but I'm laughing because I'm staring at my shoes. But you know, I have a particular shoe brand that I absolutely adore. And I have no question in my mind that that designer thinks of me, outside of thinking of me as a friend, he thinks of me as one of his clients. And he thinks of me long range, and he thinks about my lifestyle, and he thinks about how I live, how I travel, how I work. And these are all elements that are also true in real estate.
0: Right. It's deeper than the transaction, right? It's not just that, it's not, hey, I trade you for this good. It's I want to understand you and how this this good, which in, in this place is a home, really affects your lifestyle. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, that taking that approach that they're not your customers, they're your clients
1: and and it's going beyond the transaction i mean let's let's be realistic the nar statistic is something like 80 over 80% of people would use the same realtor again but the problem is that everybody disappears so only 12 or 15% of people actually do use the same agent and yep. either a the service you provide is so unremarkable that people don't remember you or b you're actually disappearing. I have a perfect example. Yes, 2 days ago, a past client of mine sent me an email and says, "Hey, the tenants you the tenants you put in the apartment are fantastic. They're moving. I need you to list the apartment right away." And it stood out to me for two reasons. Number 1, I had lost contact with that client for some personal things that came up. My mother became very ill and ultimately died within like 6 weeks of that transaction. So I had other things on my mind. But number two, the fact that they came back and they said, Hey, Nicole, how you doing? Tenants are moving. List this apartment sent me agreements right now. So even though I lost touch with them for the person, the very personal <laughs> life-changing reasons that occurred, there was something I hope outstanding enough about my managing and marketing and negotiating for them to get them that tenant, that brought them right back to me.
0: Right, right. The bringing that service, that service to another level, which made you memorable. And I, I think a lot of times people hear that statistic, which is, uh, you know, the eighty percent, eighty five percent of people would use the same realtor, but you know, that 10 to 15% actually do. And then they think that they have to become best friends with their every client.
1: You don't don't have to provide, just provide value. Here's a perfect example. Ask the clients what they want. Most of them will tell you. I have clients who tell me they want to hear from me four times a year. They four times a year, they want a market update. I have other clients who tell me they want to know everything. So I used to write a weekly blog once upon a time. And so there are clients who love that. There are clients who only want to hear from me once a month and they want to know what's going on and what's cool and what's exciting. There are clients who are maybe thinking about buying a second home. So they want more information geared to second home and retirement. But if you ask people what they want, you can actually give it to them and they appreciate that more.
0: That's huge. And that that's, it, 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 see, it sounds so simple, right? Like ask them what they want and then give that to them. Uh, it's, but it will work wonder. So listeners, if you are doing that, I recommend taking that piece of advice to heart, actually communicating with your clients. Understand that every client is different. Some people want communication frequently. Some people want to hear from you once a year, but figure that out and then make a plan that, that fits that client. Now, if we, Nikki, if we were to take the clock back five years ago, What is one piece of advice that you would give yourself?
1: Five years ago, if I'm thinking about where I was exactly five years ago, exactly five years ago, I was considering making a change, leaving a brokerage that I was with and going to a new brokerage. And what I did during that process, I think is really, really critical. I examined where I was at that point in time. Where was my business? What were the strengths? What were the weaknesses? What would I gain if I switched companies? What could I lose if I switched companies? Was I in a position to negotiate for something a little bit outside of the norm? And it really comes down to really analyzing who you are and where you want to go. And I think that that is something that not enough of us do. We react on impulse on any given day of the week. I will get a call from an agent who says, "Hey, so I'm getting an offer from such and such company, and they're offering x, y, and Z, and my immediate response will be, "Well, how is that really going to benefit you? Where are you right now in your business?" And they react they go, "Well, you know they're offering me." you know, 90% commission, or whatever the case may be. And I'm going, okay, but that's not really what I asked you. Do, what is it about that company, or that change that you really feel is going to make that material difference? And that's what I would give myself that advice five years ago, is to really, really look, really, really think very carefully before making a change.
0: Nice. Now, outside of the office, what do you, what is one thing that you think contributes to your success?
1: I think that what contributes to my success the most outside of the office is probably being an involved human being in the areas that I live and work in. I am active with my local real estate board. I'm also active with an international real estate organization. I also sit on a marketing committee for a local business improvement district, which gives me an opportunity to interact with local stakeholders in the the community where my office is. In the past, I have been very involved in various charities, from being an active volunteer to sitting on the board. And it's just generally being a part of the community and with no ulterior motive. I didn't sit on a board of a nonprofit organization for six years thinking, hey, it's totally going to bring me business. I did it because it was something I was interested in and passionate about, which is youth and arts education. So that's what I would advise people the most. We have a very unique opportunity, I think, in real estate to really sort of put our feet and our wallets where, where we say that they are, but we don't actually do it. It's one thing to say you're an active member of your community, but if you've lived and worked somewhere for 20 years and people don't know who you are, how active and involved are you in your community?
0: Right. Do you, do you live it or is it just something that's on your website? Right? Do you live
1: it or is it something that's on your website? And I think that you know, in this age of technology and social media, there's so much that's out there, but there's actually very little that's being done.
0: Now, I read online that you are a classically trained clarinetist and pianist. Is this correct?
1: This is correct.
0: Now, aside from that being awesome, how do you think that training and learning for music has has really, has that affected how you approach real estate in any way?
1: I think that, so I was very fortunate. I grew up in New York City and I went to a relatively famous performing arts high school. The Fame High School, which has been both a TV show and I believe two movies at this point. And being involved in music from a very, very early age, I believe gave me discipline because I had to practice and I had to keep to a schedule in terms of lessons and rehearsals. Once I got into a broader, being in a concert band and an orchestra and a a chamber music group, it taught me to work with other people um it taught me to communicate more effectively and i think that all of this really really contributed to my academic skill set
0: that's awesome and that's something you know it's synonymous we've heard with other people who have come on the podcast whether they are in music or in sports but when they had to dedicate to a skill and dedicate a lot of time to that skill and work with other people and that the effect is profound today when they actually look back and go oh yeah like Sitting there practicing on the piano for X amount of hours is like taught you discipline. And when the negotiation is going long or all of those types of things, or that it can actually have a real life effect on on the business you're doing. It's very, very interesting.
1: It really does. And uh, one of the organizations that I've been on the board with uh, for a number of years is actually focused around providing instruction to youth who are primarily vocalists. And it's helped them get into better colleges. Not everybody's going to be a professional musician, but if that becomes an avenue for someone to get a better education, that's very, very impactful. And another organization that I volunteer with is a creative problem-solving organization where these kids from kindergarten through to university level, they work together on teams. And they solve challenges, and they present those challenges to a panel of judges. And the ability to work together and work with other people and navigate that dynamic is more important now, in some ways, than it was when I was growing up. Because now everybody's so into, you know, into technology, and you sometimes feel that that interpersonal relationship is suffering
0: right yeah and I, I think that technology should be the complement to the interpersonal relationships not try to be the replacement absolutely I, I think the narrative right now out there is that you can replace everything with computers and that's just not true i don't think you can be friends with a facebook page or fall in love with a twitter account maybe you can but i don't think so
1: <laughs> i think there are some people who believe that they can but it's all about taking that online experience offline And, you know, many, many years ago, when I decided that I would join Twitter and all this other stuff, one of the highest compliments I feel that I ever got was someone saying to me that their experience of me online was the same as when they experienced me offline. And that just means that I'm doing, that I'm me, I'm not putting on a facade
0: that's awesome, and that's uh, that's definitely nice to hear. That uh, how you're representing yourself and is true to who you are, which I think is important for everyone in the space to do. Right, that to be as authentic as you possibly can online. Obviously, things that are posted online in most facets are rose-tinted,
1: but it is. I mean, it's it's complicated because you also, at least for me personally. I believe that I still need to have some semblance of privacy. So there are things that you wouldn't see online from me necessarily, but then there are those things that I'm happy to share about.
0: And that's awesome. And I think taking those, those things that can be inspirational, entertaining, but also real uh, are great to put online.
1: And, and then there's also disc- the, the matter of discretion, uh, a couple of months ago, I was supposed to do an Instagram story or an, I think it was Instagram stories takeover and it was on my schedule. And then the day arrived and there was no way that I could do an Instagram stories takeover because that day, everything that I was doing, no one could possibly know that I was doing it because it was highly sensitive client work that had to be sort of done you know, surreptitiously without anybody noticing. So it's it's also that layer as well. So for me, as as a person and as a real estate broker, there are things that I'm happily sharing about. And then there's, there's a whole world of things that you would never, ever hear about online, offline, or at all.
0: And I think that uh, that's a good approach. That's a really good approach to do, to take with this. Now, when... We look at Angle and Volkers specifically at your um, your office or shop, as Angle and Volkers calls them. What's one thing that that's happening at your company that you're excited about, or even your own business yourself?
1: Well, I am super excited because this spring, rather in the, so our office, we are a market center, and in my office, so we are actually on the 11th floor of an office building in midtown Manhattan. But in the coming months, this spring, there will be a street level retail shop opening on 56th Uh and park Avenue. So I'm super excited about that because, you know, I believe that the way, the way many people have their experience of the brand is centered around that retail experience. You're walking by, you can't help but be captivated by the brand and you come in. And my clients who travel, that's their experience. And same thing with a lot of my colleagues from other offices. You know, They, say, they go, okay, so where's your shop? And then I have to explain that we're actually on the 11th floor of an office building. And they go, okay. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, I'm super excited because it also presents an opportunity for client events and things of that nature, which at the moment, I tend to do most of my client entertaining or sort of seminar type things. I tend to do them at private clubs that I'm a member of because it's it's an easier environment to some degree. Than the office, which is actually it's an active office, so all you ha- you know you have one area. So it just works better for for me and for my clients having done it there. But I'm very much excited about this shop opening this spring.
0: And if you guys haven't, been to an angle and Volker shop. I recommend you just walk by one, walk into one. They're, they're very, uh, they're very distinct. Like you said, uh, we are located in Santa Monica, California. Oh, so
1: you've been by, uh, Sandy Miller's office. Sandy. Yeah. So there's an office
0: right down the promenade. It's really nice. Uh, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia originally, right where we have an office up there too and right, right where our office is there. There's another Angle and Volker shop. So if you walk by where listener just go check it out. It's it's a, it's a cool experience there the way that they've done up their office to to be more of a shop.
1: It's a cool, it's a very very cool experience and I have yet to be to an Angle and Volker shop where I have not immediately felt at home and welcomed. And my clients have had the same experience traveling around the world. I have clients, you know, they'll be in South Africa. I'll get a text message. They'll be in Canada. I'll get a text message. A client who was in Hong Kong and I got a text message and, or just running around the United States. And it's really, really, it's been really, really cool for me to be a part of this brand. And I'm very glad that I made that decision. It's essentially, Uh, when they were coming to New York.
0: That's awesome. Now, before we let you go, leave us with some wisdom, a piece of guidance that you think others who are maybe just get into the industry could really benefit from.
1: One thing that I think does not necessarily happen as often as it should, people see TV shows. They see Million Dollar Listing. They see Selling New York when it used to be on TV, which I don't think it has been in a very long time. And, or they look at something on Instagram or some ad pops up and they think it's going to be super easy and it's going to happen overnight and everything is hearts and roses. And I would recommend anybody who's actually thinking about getting into the business is to, this is a business. It's like starting a business, no matter what anybody tells you. So maybe you should start with putting together a business plan. And trying to figure out what your sources of business might be and trying to think of the kind of business that you want to run. And as you look at that, your next step should be to think about the kind of company that you want to join. Maybe you want to join a team. Maybe you don't want to join a team. Maybe you want to go to a company that has lots of in person training modules. Maybe you want to go to a company that has online training modules. But I think that before you get to that point, you have to think about who you are, what you think you can bring to the business, then think about the kind of company you want to join. Then don't be afraid to ask questions. You should ask as many questions as it makes you feel comfortable of a brokerage, of a manager, of a team leader, then make sure that you have everything in writing, especially if you're joining a team. You want to know what your obligations are, what their obligations are to you. Don't leave anything to chance. This is first and foremost a business. At the beginning, you're going to work really, really hard. You're going to work really, really long hours, and you may not get to that point initially where you can say no to things, but that's ultimately where you're going. You're going to that point where you are highly specialized in one area or one type of business or one type of client, and you are going to learn to make the best use of your time humanly possible, because that's all that you have. People can, and they will take advantage of you if you let them.
0: All right, guys, you heard it here from Nikki. Before we let you go, can you let us know where, if people want to connect, where can they find you online?
1: Well, the easiest on Instagram and Twitter at Nikki Beauchamp, Uh, you can also go to NikkiSellsNYC.com and NikkiBeauchamp.com. We'll all get you to the same general place.
0: Awesome. And guys, I will put those links below in the show notes. So wherever you are listening to this, if you just click to the about info show notes, whatever it says down there, you will get all the links to that. Nikki, thank you so much for popping on the show today. Dropped a lot of knowledge. It was a really powerful conversation. I'm happy
1: we got to do this thank you very much for having me. All
0: right, guys, that is it for episode 20 of the Leaders in Real Estate podcast. Please hit like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff down below, and we will catch you next episode.